Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Mosaic Life Podcast. Before we get started, if you would take just a couple moments of your time to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that goes a long, long way in helping others just like yourself discover the Mosaic Life. And of course, if you're not on the Apple platform, subscribing on Spotify or Stitcher or anywhere you get your podcasts is the best way to make sure that you are notified when new episodes come out every Sunday. Speaking of Spotify, if you're on the platform, you've probably seen all of your favorite bands and podcasts posting about their Spotify wrapped over the past week, and I was certainly no different. And it wasn't in an effort to highlight the accomplishments of the podcast over the last year, but it was really interesting to see how far this particular podcast has come, and it's been really exciting seeing it grow and evolve and transform. So I just want to thank all of you who have made that possible by spending an hour of your time each week listening to myself and my extremely interesting guests. So again, from me, thank you so much. And if you're looking for more Mosaic Life podcast content, you can follow me at Trey Kaufman on Instagram or just search for the Mosaic Life podcast on Facebook. My guest today, her name may seem vaguely familiar to you. She was the very first guest Ernie and I had on the podcast over a year ago. Her name is Lisa Bond, and she was on episode 11, which is absolutely insane to think about, especially considering the fact that Ernie and I had absolutely no idea what this podcast would become. You don't need to have listened to episode 11 to appreciate this particular episode. However, when Lisa and I talk about dialectical behavior therapy, we dig into it quite a bit deeper in that first episode. So if you find this interesting, I would highly encourage you go back and give that one a listen. I decided to have Lisa back onto the podcast because as we approach the holiday season in a year, unlike any other, it's so incredibly important to be able to maintain that human connection with our families, even when we can't be with them. And so many people struggle during the holidays anyway because of family tension or because families just aren't there anymore. And it's Lisa's mission to make sure that we are all able to get through this together and in a healthy and happy way. Lisa Bond is the owner and CEO of Lisa Bond Coaching and DBT Solutions, is a mental health coach who helps individuals, families, and professionals utilize the skills and principles of dialectical behavior therapy to transform their quality of life and relationships. Prior to leaving her practice as a psychiatric nurse with specialties in treating eating disorders, borderline personality disorder, and trauma, she created and led individual and group treatment programs for nearly 15 years following years of emergency room and psychiatric nursing. She has completed intensive training in dialectical behavior therapy and with its applications for trauma, addictions, and eating disorders. Please welcome back to the podcast, my good friend, Lisa Bond. And we are recording. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing Did you survive the long weekend and now you're ready to jump back in? Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm in the middle of car shopping and I, I don't like... I, for, okay, for the first time in my life, I don't need a new car. 
It's just, I have to choose between making repairs and getting new tires on this car, or I get the car that I've been wanting for a long time. And so it's a fine mix of, you know, negotiation and trying to find something that's going to have the longevity that I'm looking for. And so I did some of that this weekend. It's just, I don't love doing it, but I, I will be happy when it's done. It's really difficult to um, to negotiate with people who are so invested in selling you something, right? That I know. It's energy sucking. It is. It absolutely is. Because yeah. everybody wants to feel like they're getting a good deal. And that's not just, you know, on the consumer end. It's also on the salesperson's end. They, you know, if I... If I were to talk somebody down $5,000 on a car, I'll feel fantastic. But the part of me who wants to relieve suffering in others is not going to feel great because I know that, you know, I got such an incredible deal that I took, you know, X amount of dollars away from his commission, which, you know, I know that's a that's a weird yin and yang way of looking at it, but it, it is something that I consider. I just everybody wants to feel like they've they've done right by themselves. Yeah, I completely agree. For for me, it's more of um, how do you draw the line between not being taken advantage of, right? Yeah. And as a woman going into those negotiations yeah. and, again, not taking advantage of the other person because there's a lot of work on their end as well. They don't just walk out and, you know, give you their spiel and then there's nothing left for them to do. There's plenty of other work on their end too. Right. And they do depend on their, on their income. So you're right. I, I find it exhausting. Yeah. So uh, what's your favorite car? What are you hoping to get? I really, really want an orange Subaru Crosstrek. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You've probably you're seen them around before. You're going to curious about these off-road excursions. I am. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It, yeah. It's like, You know, I'm not a person who cares about fashion or design or what people think of me, but there's something about a Subaru that says this guy likes to do things outdoors. And I don't know, I want to be a part of that culture, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And they're great cars. So why not? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And you'll have it a long time. You want one that's going to serve you well, be cost effective. It, It checks all those boxes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how have you been? I, I went back and I, I looked because I was curious. Uh, I, you know, as we mentioned, you were the very first guest on the Mosaic Life podcast. You were, and that was episode 11. And if my math is correct, not only will this episode that we're recording right now be episode 70, that means that this was 59 episodes ago that you were on the podcast, which is insane to me. It's insane. That is crazy. Can you imagine coming that far? No. No, I I, yeah. I I can't. I mean, th- so much has obviously changed in not only just, you know, my life, but the podcast and your life. And I'm really excited. I, you know, these podcasts generally last an hour, but our conversations usually go longer than that. So I, we've got a lot to dig into, but I, I can't wait to do it. But everything, so much, so much has changed, obviously, with the world, which is mind blowing. We never could have guessed. No. When we met the first time um, at a coffee shop in Grandview, right? Wow. Introduced via a, a mutual friend, yeah. um, talking about things that we would like to do to help people at that point, we're thinking in the greater Columbus area, yeah. not even thinking the, the wider pers- um, perspective. 
never could we imagine where either one of us would end or what would happen uh, with COVID, yeah. with all of the social distancing, yada, 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 everything, everything attached to that. Ernie was a part of your business at that point. Um, now you're, you're running this on your own. It's crazy. I love it. I do too. I do too. And, you know, even as we got into this year and, you know, some of the conversations Ernie and I had before this went to a strictly interview based podcast, just, I, I know this year has been exceptionally tough for many, many, many people. It, it's been a year of growth for me, which I, I really appreciate. I, I think through the conversations you and I have, have had, it's been a year of growth for, for you as well. Mm. But, you know, I obviously know that you work much closer with, with people who are struggling, generally just in, in, during this time of the year anyway. But add on top of that, the restrictions that COVID put in place, I can't even begin to fathom some of the things people are going through. It, it really has been a challenge for so many people on multiple levels. Um, and it, it seemed to be, you know, hindsight being 2020, when we first launched into it, mostly what I was getting is that people were thriving. They loved the fact that they had some downtime, that they had some more space. And then, of course, that rapidly morphed into job losses and yeah trying to juggle working from home, um, illness, all of the above. Um, and you're right, the, then the holidays, which are difficult anyway, especially for, um, well, really for everyone. Honestly, I don't think there's a person on the face of the earth that doesn't experience some extra stress around the holidays. Right. Typically, even though you know we have these great expectations and these desires for what's going to happen, there's a lot of work involved with it as well. It's very rarely that we get to just kick back and do nothing. And really this year, I think a lot of people want to do a little bit more. Yeah. You know, yeah. go ahead. I was just going to say, you, you mentioned holidays and great expectations. And I, I wonder, just thinking about myself, there was a point in my life and it was probably around the time where I was really coming into adulthood that I stopped looking forward to Christmas morning and, not dreading it. It's just, it wasn't something that I got nearly as excited about. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with going from a, a kid to an adult. There's obviously some magic that is lost there, but I know myself, I have always set these huge expectations for the things I get excited about. And I, I've since started to mitigate that over the last five or 10 years and set realistic expectations but I know in the past when I had these grandiose dreams of the way something would be and then it falls flat that I just I used to get so disappointed and, and disheartened by that. And I, does that do you think that has a lot to do with why people generally don't get excited about these holidays or find find, you know, themselves in a depressed state? I, I think it does. I think the, the emotions surrounding disappointment are very difficult to tolerate, number one. And it's very hard um, for a holiday to live up to the hype that culturally we've built up around it. Yeah. Um, so those expectations are, are a huge piece of it. And because we, you know, human beings are social by nature, 
right? Even those that are more introverted and like to have their time by themselves um, still are naturally social beings. And the holiday season is probably one of the most sociable times of the year between company parties and family gatherings, all of the above. Um, even if you don't socialize much in between and maybe you have, I have some social anxiety. So, you know, certain holiday parties for me, um, while I love celebrating the holiday in quotation marks, I don't necessarily love the social pressure of going in there and, and having to interact. I love things with small groups of people that I know very well. Um, it does, it does bring up some stress. I think feelings of isolation are magnified during the holiday season. And I think this year, the distancing that's required because of the pandemic is increasing that. Um, And that's going to mean that people are going to really need to go outside their comfort zone to push connection and staying connection, staying connected. I mean, uh, during this time, because if you tend to isolate anyway, it's going to be real easy to get very isolated. And that's great for short term, but for the long term, it's deadly. So it's going to be super important for us to make connection, even if it's virtual connection and even if we're tired of virtual connection um, during the holidays. It also brings up, you know, memories and it it brings up inequities. So many people I talk to don't have a family. And yet holidays, you know, you look at the Hallmark Channel or, you know, any of the movies on Lifetime and and some of these channels or the Oxygen Channel, whatever they're called, um, they're all magnifying this this natural family who, even though they have their differences, all at at the end of the day stand up for each other and band together to help each other. And it's a it's always a happy ending. That just isn't the reality for many people. For many people, there is there there is no family, there is nowhere to go, and then the comparison of I wish I had that, why don't I have that? Um, it's not fair. Yeah. I'm lonely. Then if somebody invites me, it it kind of spirals into. But if they don't really want me, they're doing it because they have to. I'm really just a burden. I'm in the way. You know, it just triggers all of those feelings of self doubt and inadequacy. Um, one of the things that I tried to do during the month of November was gather little groups of people together to look at some of those difficulties, especially people that I currently work with who, you know, we already know holidays are a challenging time and to form small group connections. We used Zoom um, and it was sort of in a class format. The goal was then to create many Facebook groups where they could stay connected with those six or seven people who were in their group prior to the holidays. Um, I'm hoping, I mean, so far it's, it's worked well and people are remaining connected. I hope it's going to be enough to sustain, you know, people through Christmas and new year's at least to maintain that. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll try to offer some more of those in the month of, in the month of December as well. Um, and again, that's a, that's, it's an experiment, but that is my hope that it will, it will sustain people just enough. It may not be perfect, but just enough to be able to, um, have maintained some sort of quality of life 
through this season. Yeah. Um, I, I want to go back just a little bit. When you talk about, you know, and I never thought of it this way. When you talk about Hallmark, Lifetime, Oxygen, all of that, those, those picturesque holiday films that I, I can't stand to watch, but that, you know, that's my right. own personal preference. Um, you know, it, to me, that draws a very strong parallel with social media and how people tend to paint the best possible picture of their lives and their bodies and, you know, their uh-huh. outlooks. And I, I guess specifically in regard to these holiday movies, I, I, I struggle to say, you know, those, those films are dangerous, but the way you, you paint that picture, it, it does, it, it seems like there's certainly that possibility there of setting this unrealistic expectation of the way life and family should be, especially during what is supposed to be one of the happiest times of the year, but can oftentimes be one of the most depressing times of the year. I mean, would you, would you go as far to say that, you know, it's a, it's a dangerous thing to, to put those out there. I, I, especially to, for me coming from a social media standpoint, I know how detrimental it can be for people to see only the perfect sides of other individuals. So I'm, I'm just curious where you personally draw those parallels. Yeah. I don't know if it's, if it's, dangerous per se to put them out there. I think what's more important is um, teaching young people, especially, but for all of us to be mindful of the fact that, you know, it's the magic of television. Yeah. Even, even in our own family, we pulled out, um, we pulled out a scrapbook the other day and, you know, back in the day, I think it was in the, I think it was in probably the, um, the nineties, the early nineties, I was very into scrapbooking and I had a Christmas scrapbook for the whole family and a scrapbook for each kid and a scrapbook for Cub Scouts, yada, yada, yada. And looking back it dawned on me, the only things that were in those scrapbooks were the highs. There was nothing of the, the other side of the spectrum. There was no, um, opposition. There was no negative emotion. It was always the win, win, win. And I thought, no wonder, you know, it just came to me, no wonder we're so vested, right, in avoiding the realities of life. And we're so invested in holding on to all of the highs that we lose track of the reality. We forgot about the the major meltdown fights when, you know, the last minute before you're having 40 people in for Thanksgiving and the kids don't want to pick up their stuff or help with cleaning or the messes that are left afterwards, yet you still have to be at work the next morning at 6.30 in the morning. You know, some of, some of these things that are also a real part of the holidays, it doesn't mean that we didn't love them and enjoy them and look forward to them, but they weren't all, what, what do I want to say, unicorns and rainbows. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. There was a lot of work. And I love it when you say you you reach that age where <laughs> where you did you didn't get excited about Christmas morning. I was still excited and my kids weren't. And I remember one year I saw on something this I thought brilliantly hysterical idea to put some sort of saran wrap over their bedroom doorways and then string yarn between the handle on the door and the Christmas tree and wind it all over the house so that they would have to un- unravel the yarn and roll it up in a ball in order to get to their Christmas presents. Yeah. And for some reason, that just cracked me up. I thought that is the funniest thing. They are going to love this. They were so angry and so annoyed <laughs> and so crabby. <laughs> they still, to this day, 
describe it as the epic Christmas fail. And, you know, this is the reality of living with other people. Um, and we all have our expectation for how yeah. it's going to be. Yeah, It's not, it's not all unicorns and, and rainbows. It's, the reality is life has pain in it and we Absolutely. can tolerate it. We can, we can create a life worth living in spite of it, but that requires intention and it requires relationships and support. Those relationships aren't always there for everyone. Yeah, I agree. What you're doing with your podcasting is you're creating a forum for people to build relationships with every single one of the people that come on. I feel like that's one of the biggest values of your podcast, the way you have it set up where you're, you're interviewing so many different people from so many different arenas that allows opportunities for this whole diverse group to find some sort of a, um, some sort of a pack, some sort of a team that they can, they can somehow align with. Well, that's been so incredibly important to me, not just through the podcast, but in, in, in business in life is it's just building those relationships. I, prior to, becoming an entrepreneur, I, I worked a lot of sales jobs and it was always just very transactional. You never built a strong relationship with somebody and that going back to, you know, a car salesman, that's, that is, you know, if you want to think of the quintessential salesperson, you just think of a car salesman. You're not, you there's no, there's no vested interest there. People, they don't care about, you know, really your happiness when it comes to the, the 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 car that you purchase aside from not wanting to not wanting you to bring it back the next day because it falls apart they they right. want to, they want to get your money and they want you to to move on now I don't like that that's just that's just not me I want to build a solid foundation with all of the people I work with both in my web design business as well as the podcast you know I'm not Joe Rogan I would love to be Joe Rogan I would love the podcast to get to that size but you know in the in the meantime and and during which and into the future I have this opportunity to talk with all these incredible people, yourself so very much included, and it does not make sense to me to to hoard all these relationships for myself. I, I like connecting people so they can continue doing incredible things, and that's you know as I've mentioned uh, on the podcast in previous episodes, I, I have created that Mosaic Life Co-op where we can all come together and collaborate. And it's just it's been a really re rewarding experience. It has been. I know I've met some great people. Um, via that forum. And I was thinking about that also today. We have a mutual friend, Tiago, who I met um, via your podcast and who had been a guest on the podcast, um, was describing something that he was putting together. And I thought, that's interesting. And I'm very much the opposite. I'm a buffet kind of person where I invite people in to take what you want, what appeals to you and leave the rest. Yeah. Take it, grow from it and, and, and move on, but I will always be here and come back, right? And and take some more at any at any point that that you might like, or if there's something that you might find valuable. And I thought that's what that's what the Mosaic Life Co-op has allowed. You can drop in or not, and you can take what's valuable, and then you can leave the rest. But that doesn't mean that at some time in the future the rest won't be valuable. Yeah. And I really like that. There's no, no one is saying, put all your eggs in this basket. This is the only one way to go. So there's many paths to, to this, to the same ending. And there's many different endings. Let's embrace them all and support each other. I love it. 
I love what you just said, and I'm going to try and recreate it in my mind, and I'm probably probably going to quote it once I edit this, but there are many, oh, shoot, say that again, because I just lost it. There are many paths to the same ending. How did you say that? Because that was it was perfect. Um, there's so many paths to the same <laughs> ending, and there's so many different endings um, that we can, yeah, we, yeah. we keep coming back to that we can keep coming back to the table Absolutely. we can keep um keep returning and being there for each other yeah. without judgment without pressure agree so speaking of tiago yeah I, I think last time we spoke you hadn't talked to him in a little while you guys should reach out to each other again uh he and i had a one-on-one not too long ago and he's just he's really doing incredible things and i, I there's something about him that I, I can't really peg it's just he I think he just gives unconditionally and he doesn't expect really anything in, in return. I've, obviously he's a very successful businessman. Uh, he, he does very well for himself in Brazil and he's got this incredible, I don't know if it's a house, whatever it is, but it's right on the freaking ocean and it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, when he said he could see a penguin out his yeah. window, I was just <laughs> filled with envy. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. He's a, uh, he's, he's a great guy. And actually he, introduced me to, uh, um, I don't know, a client, a friend, a colleague. Um, and I spoke with him a week or two ago. His name's Christoph. He's in, I want to say Belgium. Um, and we, we had like an hour long kind of pre-interview and just, just as thoughtful and just as genuine as Tiago. He and I are recording a podcast this week, so it'll come out sometime in December. Uh, but just, I, I'm, I'm so excited and I would love to introduce two of you as well. He's just, he just, he's equally as thoughtful as Tiago. And I, I don't know. I, again, I feel so incredibly lucky to have the opportunity to talk with people all over the world. And I don't want to be selfish in that regard. I want to share it with not just the listeners, but you know, the people who s- share their very valuable time with me. Yeah. And it's, it, that sharing is so intentional. I think, um, I think Tiago is a great example of, somebody, and this is something that I'm really aware of because of the work that I do with people with mental health issues, Tiago is able to hold space and to give you his entire intent, um, attention in a moment. Yeah. So even yeah. if it's a brief conversation, you know that he is taking in everything that you're saying and then he's processing it and and kind of drawing from his own bank of information to see if it, he has anything that might be helpful. Right. Yeah. Um, it's so authentic and so um, palpably, what do I want to say, supportive. You you leave the interaction, even if it's you know five minutes, ten minutes, you leave filled, and that's a that's a amazing quality. It really is. It really if is. I, bottle that we could sell it because that's what the world needs yeah it is and that leads me to to bring this subject up it's a i've i've learned a great many things in these conversations that i've had and one of those is the idea of emotional intelligence and i i think the last time we spoke on record i didn't know what that meant and since then i've learned a fair amount of about it is that something you deal with with your clients often, or is that just not terminology with within you know the, the DBT spectrum? We we don't talk about it specifically as emotional intelligence. Um, however, DBT is emotional intelligence. Yeah. The 
people, the clients that I work with, as opposed to their families, typically have an underdeveloped emotion regulation system. Um, and along with that, there is um, hyperactivity oftentimes in a smaller amygdala and less development in the prefrontal cortex. And as a result, emotional intelligence is not something that they can easily develop on their own. You know, we don't come out of the womb naturally um, manifesting the skills that we associate with emotional intelligence, how to, how to be effective in relationships, how to be mindful of my needs and your needs, whether it's in the business environment, whether it's in the family, whether it's in a romantic relationship, whether it's um, in an educational environment. Those are skills that are learned. Most of us are going to learn them within our familial relationships, but not everybody will. And there are certain people that have different kinds of um, mental health issues for whom their biology makes it more difficult for them to learn those skills. And that, that's where my particular piece of the world comes in is helping people who struggle with that learn to be more effective and helping their families learn how to help them be more effective. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really important. And you and I have had a great many conversations around education and where it falls short. Um, do you think our education system falls short in, in that regard? And, you know, especially when it comes to people with, you know, uh, mental illness, uh, whether it's a lack of emotional intelligence or just, you know, providing the resources for people who need special care to help them learn in a way that works for them. I think it has fallen short, but I, on the other hand, I see a huge amount of growth and development uh, over the last couple of years. A lot of people are becoming very invested in um, doing all kinds of things to, to help young kids, especially those that don't have access to great role models, understand how this works, how important um, these skills are in life. And I'm seeing a, a, a really great movement toward that end within education, um, even to the extent, which is wonderful, the areas of the arts, um, theater, entertainment, dance, where people are very deliberately using all of those adjuncts um, to increase people's emotional intelligence and to, I think, improve their ability to learn. Yeah. I think learning is enhanced when... Um, you're surrounded by people who are at least somewhat emotionally intelligent. I'm, I'm not a fan of that phrase even. It sounds so canned, Yeah, I but get that. that's a judgment on my, on my part. I just think knowing how to be effective with other people and being aware of that which you value bring, and bringing that to every relationship deliberately is what creates the difference. Absolutely. Um, I do want to go back a little bit, uh, just for the sake of anyone who wasn't able to listen to episode 11, all those many episodes ago, can you just talk a little bit about how you work with your clients and what DP, D, uh, DBT really is uh, so that we can have that firm baseline? Oh, sure. Um, dialectical behavior therapy was developed by Marsha Linehan many years ago specifically to treat people who were chronically suicidal 
um, and who engaged in horrific self-harm as a way to manage their extreme emotional sensitivity. Um, That included people who were addicts, that included people who had had multiple, you know, 20 plus um, hospitalizations, multiple suicide attempts, um, and still with years and years of treatment never improved. And she was successful in creating a treatment that worked. Uh, That's where DBT originated. And as time went on, DBT and the skills specifically um, designed as part of that treatment have been proven effective in reducing depression and anxiety and helping with eating disorders and helping with addictions. They're critical in the area of trauma treatment. Um, and they have, they've just grown in their use over the last 10 or 15 years exponentially. Um, mostly because of these quicker outcomes, quicker positive outcomes, more positive outcomes, And of course, there are these wonderful um, analysts and statisticians who are testing all of these different procedures and skills over and over and over again in a number of different environments to prove that they are effective, not only for the short term, but for the long term. So it has become kind of a gold standard, either treatment on its own or an adjunct to other needed treatments. That's great. Um, I really, I love, I love the work you're doing and I love how it, it, it just, to me, it seems like it's, it's so needed. And we, we've had this conversation before about the stigma around mental health and how we need to remove that so people can seek the help that they, they truly need. And you, you talk a little bit, or you mentioned, you know, addiction and you introduced me to, to Rob, which I, I really appreciate that. And Rob was on the podcast not too long ago and it was a really eye opening conversation. And since then I, I, I read a book, it was called buzzed. It was about all about addiction, all about the, the drugs and opioids and everything that's out there. And it was just, it was eye opening to me getting a, a better understanding of what some very real problems are just around the corner from, from, from where we live. And you, you kind of, you find yourself caught up in your own little bubble, not realizing the other issues people are going through. But when we get to have conversations like these, we can, we can open our eyes and our minds a little bit and have a little bit more empathy and come to understand how we can help others. And so I, I again, I really love what you're doing and, you know, how, what else can we do to be a resource for people in our lives who are just, who we may or may not know are suffering, especially right now? You know, asking is always the first line of defense um, in terms of protecting ourselves. And I always start there because I don't think anybody who hasn't experienced it can ever imagine how painful the second guessing and the what ifing. Um, is on top of any grief associated with losing someone to a suicide. Um, And so I think one of the ways we can protect ourselves is to ask and to be genuinely concerned, genuinely genuinely, um, willing to say, I care. I can tell you're miserable. I'm going to be with you while we find you some help. 
The concept of being a resource takes away the burden of being responsible because, you know, unless you're a, a, a professional, it's not your job to be responsible. Your job is to be a resource. And there are so many great resources out there. Being able to take someone by the hand and saying, come on, I'll go with you. Let's let's go figure that out. And honestly, that's as as I've you know gone through the years and I'm at this point in my career, that's my biggest goal is to be a valuable resource to anyone and everyone, you know, who kind of touches my home base. What, where can I point you? What, what can I give you? Who might be a person that, that can help? Um, how do we get this information out there? And then the other piece of it is to normalize um, the fact that life is painful. And if people struggle, it, it, it's not something to be judged. They just happen to be struggling. We all struggle at different times. Um, this is normal. Pathologizing um, issues surrounding what we call mental health is, is not helpful. Right. It, it creates a system of you versus me and a standard of comparison that doesn't make any sense. Nobody is going to be happy all the time and nobody is going to be miserable all the time. Yeah. If you're at either end of the spectrum, something's a little off, but there's a very wide middle path. Yeah. And even though we all vary a little bit to one side or the other from time to time, being able to deliberately get back on that middle path is, is extremely helpful. If someone loses that ability to be flexible or has never gained it, then how can we help? What can we do to make that easier? Lots of times what I'm doing with families um, is helping them learn how to tolerate a loved one who just functions differently. It can be very, very scary and um, overwhelming when somebody is, when you are around somebody who operates very differently from you. Yeah. For some reason, it can signal danger and stimulate an urgency on our part to change the other person to be more like us. If once we recognize that, it's very easy to say, oh, this is just different. It's not wrong. It's not bad. It's just different. How can I help this person? Absolutely. Well, gee, let's ask how I can help rather than tell them how they're supposed to be. Yeah. Let's just see, what can I do? And if they say nothing, it's okay for them to have that limit. We're just going to take, take people where they are. I love that. I think you make a very, very good point. You know, since... It's obviously not a secret. It's something that I, I've tried to brand as part of this podcast since, you know, Ernie left to do his own thing. The focus has been on happiness. And the point you made is is a very poignant one. It's one that I, I need to probably say more often is that we, nobody's going to be happy all the time. That's just, it's, it, it's just how it is. It's just, nobody's going to be happy all the time. Nobody's going to be miserable all the time. And I, I, I myself... I'm going to talk through this with you because it's not something I've really expressed before. I previously used to have really high highs. You know, something really good happened. I would, you know, be driving down the road just singing at the top of my lungs, you know, just being on top of the world. And then lows would be not super low, but they would certainly be lower than baseline. And over the last several years, as I've I think, you know, had more conversations with myself, become more self-aware, studied Stoicism, studied Buddhism. I've, I've found my center baseline, and I don't deviate from that often. 
I, I don't go super high, but I certainly don't go low either. And it's just, I, I think that's probably a better bet for me because I, I can have that consistency in my life um, where I, I'm able to work my way through the low points and have a level head when I hit those higher points just so I can continue steadfast in the right direction. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. It, it's always more comfortable to be in balance for all of us. Homeostasis, um, which is which is balance, is is kind of a primary um, construct of medical physical health, and it's also that of emotional health. You know, I think our culture has become invested in trying to sell us on happiness. Yeah. In fact, a, a book that impacted me in this area was um, Russ Harris wrote a book called um, The Happiness Trap. And basically his what he says in there is that it, we are not meant to be happy all the time. We can't experience happiness if we don't have unhappiness to um, compare it to. Right. Right. You we have to have both. It's a natural part of life. We've learned culturally to fear it. And certainly, you know, economically, we're encouraged that we can't be happy if we don't own, possess or engage in or look like certain things. And there's a great deal of money invested enough to destroy an economy. Right. Yeah. In preserving this false belief that happiness is primary. There's nobody out there selling unhappiness, right? Uh, you, you're not going to see that. So what's happened as a result is we become afraid of unhappiness. And yet pain is part of life. We can tolerate it. We're not necessarily going to jump up and demand it. But if we don't experience it, we can't live fully. Yeah. Being able to just say, of course, you're here, pain. Why would you not be? This is fine. I can tolerate this. I don't love it. And it's mm -hmm. okay. I know it won't be here forever. Right? We're not taught to do that. We're taught to avoid it in every possible way. I think when I talk about happiness, I always want to say, and we need to spend as much time and as much effort in balancing that with unhappiness yeah. as we do. And even, even many of the um, philosophical traditions, whether they're religiously based or otherwise, um, you know, I remember when people used to always be searching back in the sixties for nirvana, right. right? Right. Always this higher high, this greater intelligence. In fact, that eliminates the balance that potentiates the all or nothing thinking of it's either going to be all good or all bad. Yeah. What we need is the mix. I agree. Um, I have gotten in the habit over the last several years of exercising myself to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And, you know, simple things like I take a cold shower every single day. It's not something I particularly enjoy doing, but I'm comfortable being cold working yeah. out and, and working out when I don't want to just, you know, I think one of the biggest things is removing judgment from negative thoughts, not blocking them, not saying you don't belong here, but
but acknowledging that I have them because I, yeah. I, I do my best to portray positivity because I don't want to put negativity out in the world. There's way too much of it, but that's not, I, I'm not, I'm not to- a toxic optimist. That's that, that is not something that I am. I have negative thoughts, but I need to understand what they are. And if I can remove the judgment from them and say, Hey, listen, I'm having this thought. Where does this thought stem from? Okay. What can I do to make sure that this is not a recurring thought? And so I could, I can dissect it and I can realize where it's coming from and I can avoid putting myself in a situation where it pops up again when I'm not in as strong of a place to not let it affect me. That makes perfect sense those thoughts are going to come up, right? Our brains are thought-making machines. They're also comparison-making machines. Um, They're going to come up. They serve a purpose to some extent. We we have a choice as to whether or not we allow them to hook us. However, it takes skill once we're hooked to be able to unhook or even to recognize that we have a choice. Not everybody knows that. So, you know, we we have to train ourselves on how to do that. Um, but that's the difference between the pain of life, which is that those self-doubts and, or, you know, I'm tired, I can't, um, I don't want to, whatever it is, versus the suffering of this will last forever, it will never change, there's no point. Right. That becomes suffering when once we're hooked, right, and we keep, we get in that, on that hamster wheel, we're just yeah. on the treadmill going over it and over and over and over it. Yeah. Um, that's where it becomes toxic. It's perfectly normal for those things to come up and to not want to do things some days. I think I think it's fair to even to say those things. Like you're saying, we don't want to we don't want to beat them to death and talk about them over and over. But we also need to normalize that as human beings, we have bad days. Yeah, it's Absolutely. the people who, at least for myself, going through life was the people who were always upbeat and everything was always great. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I have no place with you. <laughs> I struggle. I yeah. I don't want to go to work some days. I don't want to clean the house some days. I don't want to be a mom some days. Yeah. Um, and I do it anyway for a reason, right? And then you sort of come back to that which you value. And when we start centering ourselves on that which we value, all of a sudden, like, oh, and I can actually get a little bit excited about this. It's when we don't make the circle back to what's important to us, what we value, that we get into trouble. We just have to keep making sure that we connect those dots in the circle so that we don't go down a, a rabbit hole. Yeah. You know, easier said than done. Yeah, well, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think <laughs> a lot of that obviously is establishing some level of self awareness, but a lot of that also is is having conversations with experts like yourself and the people who can really, I don't know if train is the right word, but people who can help you get to that point in your life where you can recognize these thoughts and, you know, help, help you work through them. Yes. And there are like, like we said earlier, there are so many ways to get there. Yeah. And there are, there, there are hundreds of different ways finding the one that's the best fit for each of us or, and, even not one, ones that are most um, valuable to us is important. Absolutely. You know, you talked a little bit earlier, we were talking about, I think we were talking about the holidays and 
<laughs> everybody's projecting all this positivity and, you know, all these great experiences that we have during the holidays, but you don't really think about, you know, the, the stress and anxiety you go through to get to that point. And I, I, I tend to talk a lot about failure, not in a negative sense, but in a positive sense and how we can learn from it. And I, I think, again, that's another mindset thing. You have to, I, I guess it goes back to your scrapbooking and it always scrapbooking the things that made you happier, the positive outlooks on life. But if you, if you really remember and internalize, you know, the bad things and then you can, you can learn from them. I mean, I think that's, that's my biggest point when it comes to failure is that if you don't learn from it, then, you know, it, it was in vain. And I think for so long, people has such a negative outlook on what failure was, but it's just an opportunity for us to learn and do it better next time. Exactly. The, that belief that failure is unacceptable um, is is really deadly because it can make a person just literally lock up and be stuck in cement, unable to move forward. In fact, to learn and progress, we have to fail. It's essential. Learning how to fail and do it well is part of resilience. It's what allows us to go forward and to continue to develop both personally and as a culture. For many years, we were, um, even in the years when I was raising my kids, right? Everybody won a prize for everything. We didn't want anybody to be left out. I was a big proponent of all that. Um, unfortunately, right? Because I've made all the mistakes. Um, what we did was teach kids that it wasn't okay to fail and that no matter what, um, the world would make it possible that you couldn't fail. Right. What I wish, hindsight being 2020, I had taught my children was fail. Here's another opportunity. Come on, let's let's just try it and see what kind of a mess we can make out of this and laugh at it and have fun with it. And you just kind of celebrate the trying, celebrate the journey, celebrate the losses. Um, I'm trying to do that with my granddaughter. And it's interesting to see there's almost an, um, a sense of relief on the times that I do it well. I can see her loosen up and be much more authentic and much more, um, I want to say brave yeah. and willing to try something new. Sometimes I don't do it as well. Um, and then I'll notice that she's much more what do I want to say? Cautious. Yeah. And, you know, and a lot of what we learn again, failing, right? Hindsight, what I learned from all the mistakes that I made parenting, all the mistakes I made for myself growing up, I can now use as examples with clients and share with other parents to normalize that, oh my gosh, we can have great endings in spite of all these, you know, things that we wish we had done differently. Absolutely. We can still succeed in, in spite of all these different failures. Um, so it's been a real gift. I think I wish I had embraced it more earlier. I think the point you just made is so incredibly important. You said you know, all of your experiences in your life, all your failures in your life are what allow you to help other people. Absolutely. That's so, uh, that's, you can help other people because you have failed in life. And I, I can't, uh, that's, that's so important. I, I, I really can't overstate that. And you know, that same with this podcast, same with everything that people experience. I mean, you, these are things that you can't internalize from reading a book. And I, as much as I love books, you need to have these experiences. Yeah. 
I'm thinking of um, a church experience that I had um, for a number of years where the teaching was, um, you know, to be aiming for perfection. The ultimate, the ultimate goal was perfection. And somehow you were, you could never be perfect because you were human, but you were striving for perfection. And, you know, I just find that that was very damaging for so many people because the focus was on perfection instead of the focus being on the glory of failing. And that failure is what makes things possible. This isn't my description, but, um, and I don't remember whose it is, but, you know, babies are naturally great at failing. They stand up, they fall down, they stand up, they fall down, they crawl, they crawl a little further, and then they collapse and they do it over and over and over and over again until they finally get it. They fail a bazillion times before they actually master the next task. That's huge. Yeah. If if we can give ourselves permission to be that that baby, be that courageous um, person who laughs when they fall down and who gets encouraged for trying again, I think our, our whole quality of life is transformed. Can you imagine how damaging it would be as a newborn child to be berated every time you fell instead of encouraged to say, Uh, even if you don't understand the language, you can understand the intonation to be yelled at every time you tried to take a step, but you fell the long-term damage that would do. I can't imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Or even, you know, it's the little things. Even I notice, you know, when a little one is learning to ride a bike and really the attitude about all the failed attempts makes a huge difference in, in how long it takes the child to learn. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Frustration, right, is also necessary. These negative emotions that we're so busy trying to avoid when we're circling back to emotional intelligence, um, it's really going to be much more adaptive for us to embrace them. Yeah. To know what there are, that they're there for a purpose and that they're there to serve us avoiding them isn't necessarily in our best interest. I agree. So what do you think the rest of the year is going to look like? I mean, obviously, hopefully we have some semblance of hope with a few vaccines in the works, but I know, you know, those are going to be going to the high risk individuals first as, as they should. But in regard to families and holidays and the way we should or should not be spending you know, the month of December and going into January, what's that going to look like from, I guess, a mental health standpoint or just, you know, as, as a culture, I just, I just want to get your thoughts. Yeah. I, you know, I don't think there's any perfect answer. And I think while we're, we're all going on, I certainly am, I'm a proponent of masking and social distancing as a, as a former nurse, um, an emergency room nurse, uh, I can remember taking trainings uh, specifically about the 50 year pandemics um, that come in. And, you know, I believe that it's all real. I believe that we do need to do these things to avoid overwhelming um, our hospital systems and our families. However, I'm also very much aware of the dangers of isolation. So, and I see it continuing. I, I have a feeling that life will be forever changed 
and we'll be doing many things differently as a result of this period. We're really lucky to be living in this moment of history, how we survive it and, and how we make good come out of it is going to have a lot to say about ourselves as a, as Americans and as an international community. There's, there's more opportunities to help. There's more, but in, in different ways than we ever did before, that ability to embrace change and to manifest resilience. Not everyone has that. And we're going to have to be willing to step up to the plate to offer those opportunities to other people and to give support where it's needed. My, my biggest concern is that quality med- mental health care is um, going to be less and less available, um, at least for the short term. Yeah. And I have a kind of a, a passion about getting the information that most of us as mental health um, professionals have to one degree or another, getting that out to the general public and sharing it with people, not hoarding it. Um, so that people have access in reasonably priced ways, um, if not free, you know, whenever possible, free to this information that we're lucky enough to have so that it can be utilized. I, I think that's going to be key as a culture, as a community that we are sharing, that we are gifting all of our knowledge um, in as many ways as we can to, to support each other. Video, I know everybody's tired of it, but during these holiday times this year in particular, I think we need to get really, um, really good at it. It's been a big challenge for me. Talk about having to fail greatly. Um, I have made so many epic fails. All the, all the things that you see in the memes on TV that's happened to me in groups that I've tried to lead or talks that I've tried to do since March. Um, Probably almost everyone, except I have remained completely dressed every time. That's good. All of all of the other ones, I can pretty much tell you. I, can you hear me? Can you hear me now? What do you mean, my videos? You know, all of it. I've done it. Survived. Everybody else survived. Um, we'll get there. But I really believe that virtual connections are going to be huge. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Necessary. And you, so you are working on some of these video tutorials. I, I think you called it that right now, correct? Yeah, they've. What I've again, what I found out is because I am not the most proficient in terms of um, tech. It's taking longer than uh, than I ever anticipated. So what I've ended up doing is I've I've got them in process, but I've been doing some of them live. Uh, my goal was by the end of the year to have them available to people to do self-directed. So they didn't necessarily have to sign up and show up every week for X number of weeks for X number of hours. Right. It's very difficult to do that, especially think of a mom who's who's home and dad's trying to work in the other room. She's trying to work in her office. And then there's three kids trying to homeschool yeah. all at the same time. I wanted to be able to get information out in such a way people could access it on their own time. Um, but the technological part of that exceeds my ability. So that's been slow. I have been able to do um, lots of um, small, very brief personal interactions via Zoom, though. Right. And the the reports that I'm getting is that they have been very helpful. Good. And like I said, trying to create small Facebook um, communities. And, and there are other platforms. I'm just not familiar with them. I'm not 
as I say, I'm still very basic in, in that area. That has been very helpful. It's not ideal. Would I rather do it in person? Absolutely. When, when you and I first met, and it is still my goal, I want to do an event yes. for a group of people on finding purpose yeah. and figuring out what the next steps are toward manifesting that. I was just going to bring that up. Yeah. Two, two doses of some vaccine for enough people and we can do it. Yes. I'm all, I'm, I'm all in. Good. I can't wait. That's going to be epic. And the time will come. It will. Yes, it will. Yeah. It absolutely yeah. will. Yeah. And um, in the meantime, we get all these fantastic ideas and people are changing. So what the needs will be, we'll, we're going to know because of conversations like this. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important. I love having these conversations. And so one thing I do want to ask, and obviously you being such a major part of this for so long, that this, this, this answer should come naturally. You know, if there's somebody out there who can provide additional resources for you to help you and your mission continue growing, what would that look like? You know, what, what resources do you need now to continue getting your message and, and this incredibly important uh, way of thinking, way of, way of, you know, learning uh, out there? What, 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 what does that look like for you? You know what? I think if you had asked me that um, even six months ago, I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have had, no, I would have known, but I wouldn't have had words to put on it. Right. What I need is some sort of assistant who can do all the tech, who can tell me now you do this, yeah. now you do this, and but not expect me to do it because, the, and not because I'm not willing to learn. I've learned a ton. Yeah. I don't have time. Yeah. There just aren't enough hours in the day and the information needs to get out. So someone who can take what I have and format it and get it set up and get it out, that's what I need. I, and I need someone who can tell me what's reasonable costs for that. Right. Right. And yeah, basically it, it really goes, it's like pre market it's development and I guess it's marketing, but I hate to think of it as marketing, but I guess it is marketing um, because you have to, I know who my people are, yeah. but I don't know how to get it into their hands necessarily. And then of course it has to be formatted in a way that they can use on their own. Right. Cause I can do the in-person stuff. That That's a no brainer. Yeah. That's good to know. Um, and I know I, every time this particular ask it comes up. I always mention her name and you know her personally, Anna Bitters. Um, she is my go-to expert when it comes to virtual assistance and, you know, all things getting, excuse my French shit done. Um, right. Yeah. I don't know how many conversations you've had with her, but uh, she's a very good resource for that. We've, we've had quite a, f a few good conversations. I didn't realize that she actually did that stuff though. I need somebody who's going to do it for me, not like, coach me right along on come on you can do this you can figure it out no i really don't have time yeah <laughs> i've got the stuff i have to do i need somebody to do it I sh i'm sure she knows somebody so i will ask her and i'll, I'll yeah, connect with you that's offline great. i'll reach out to her as well that Perfect. would be wonderful thank well, you yeah absolutely so i i i, I think I might have asked you this question all those episodes ago, but it was kind of on a whim. And since then, 
I, I I've made it a staple in the podcast, and I and I let people know ahead of time because it is something that is so deeply important to me. And I asked you this, obviously, in the form you filled out. And I'm going to say this is the the deepest answer I've ever gotten, and the, the most I, I've heard a lot of different answers for this. But I I'm excited to, for you to talk to briefly about this. What book has just changed your life for the better? What 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 effect has it had on you, and why? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you have the mic here. Um, I think I actually mentioned it earlier: the Happiness Trap by Russ Harris. Um, Russ Harris is a researcher. Uh, who developed a treatment called acceptance and commitment therapy, but he's the first person that I encountered to um, really bring to light the myth of happiness and how um, how we've been culturally conditioned to think that we're supposed to be happy all the time. And when I read that book, it's a very short book. When I read that book, it was like a dozen light bulbs popped on. And so many things began to make sense. I, it was suddenly like, oh, of course, that's exactly what I've been doing. That's been motivating everything that I'm doing. And no wonder I don't feel satisfied. Yeah. I've been missing. And then the other piece um, associated with that is the fact that happiness is not magical. Happiness does not, it, we don't come with a guarantee that we're going to be happy. Happiness is intentional. We have to find out by experimenting what things, what activities, what connections, what experiences, what sensory um, kind of experiences cause us to sort of release happiness hormones, endorphins, or um, you know, there are other there are other oxytocin. Um, what are the things in life that cause me? to secrete those neurohormones and notice that I'm feeling happy. Yeah. Even, even dopamine, right? The one that, that we hear so much about with, with um, addictions. What is it that I do? What is it that I experience that causes me to have that? And how can I be intentional about making sure that I have those experiences every single day? because I'm responsible for that. It's not magic. It's not guaranteed, right? It has nothing to do necessarily with the people around us. It's what am I going to do to make sure that I get my daily prescription amount of those neurohormones? Yeah. And I love what you said. It is, it is our responsibility. It's, it's nobody else's. Yeah. That, changed my life completely. My experiences of living and my quality of life have improved since that time. And there are so many things we can do to have more happiness. Yeah. Finding our purpose and identifying it, knowing those things that we value is all part of that. That's why I'm so excited to do some sort of a program and offer that because this is all information that has changed my life and I want to share it with other people. I'm excited for that too. Um, now you also mentioned, um, and I did want to bring this up because I am curious about this book, Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents by Lindsay Gibson. Yeah, that one, um, is tough read. Lots of times, um, you know, we grow up in less than the ideal family Yeah, and understanding that and why it was the way it was 
is extremely important because that's where we first begin to challenge core beliefs that we have about ourselves and how we fit in the world um, that were developed, you know, long before we were even eight or nine years old. I'll, I'll give you the example for me. Um, it's not addressed in the book, but it's my my translation. Um, when I was growing up, it was in a well 1950s Catholic home um, in suburb of Boston, and you were taught to kneel down by the side of your bed and to say your prayers every night before you went to bed. And I would do that, and I was, you know, taught to say this prayer, this prayer, this prayer, and then end up um, the ritual by saying, God bless mommy, God bless daddy, God bless Lisa, and make her a good girl. And, you know, because as children, we don't have the cognitive ability or the life experience or the maturation to put, you know, two and two together and get four. I didn't realize until many, many, many years later that this core sense of not being a good person, of being flawed, of not being good enough, um, had some roots in that ritual, which was, you know, that was eye opening. And, you know, understanding and reading and reading, you, know, you were talking about emotional intelligence earlier on in reading that book about emotionally immature parents, realizing that in my generation, the families that we were raised in were World War Two, you know, just back from World War Two. Right. There was so much PTSD if there had been any emotional intelligence. And that wasn't something, it was just the opposite that was stretched during the developmental periods between World War One and World War Two. There wasn't a lot of that. It was spare the rod and spoil the child. So, you know, you're talking about a, a very immature emotional intelligence yeah. and how that impacts the child is profound. Later on, I was able to read about attachment theory and um, look at the work of, of Basil Vanderkolf, who's a, a, a great trauma researcher and therapist, and see how all this comes to play in people, even from later generations. But if you dial way back to mine, um, it really became apparent after I read that book. And I, I know you uh, previously mentioned attachment theory, and I, I have not read into it uh, yet, but now that it's brought back up, I, I do intend to do so because I, it seems like it's exceptionally important. It is. It um, it really starts where it's important is it starts to inform who we are and how we are in relationships. Right. It's these core beliefs that we've developed when we're very young, too young to understand, are very subconscious, and they tend to drive how we participate as a partner in a relationship. But we're unaware of it, right? And so when we're repeating a pattern. Um, or a way of perceiving the world, and we're kind of putting that template down over anybody that we meet, it's not always going to fit the facts, especially not now as compared to then. So it's really helpful to be aware of those things and to see which ones still fit and which ones um, are, oh, where did I come up with that? Oh, okay. Isn't that interesting why I'm still acting as if this was true? Right. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. Really helpful. Well, Lisa, I'm so excited. I, I love every chance that we we get to talk. I, you know, I, if I haven't expressed it before, you really helped set the tone for this podcast all a year ago. So I want to express extreme gratitude for that. 
Um, <laughs> I, I don't. I, I probably didn't share it off the top um, when we first started talking, but I I was nervous as hell going to that first interview. <laughs> I really was. I di- I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but you really made both Ernie and myself comfortable and you really helped set a good foundation for where this has gone. So I want to thank you for that. Um, it really means a lot to me. Oh, I really appreciate that. That, That's so nice to hear. I was terrified too. Um, I think I had done one prior to that and yeah, (laughs) I think I had PTSD from the first one. <laughs> I remember you talking about that. And I, I hope I hope that uh, as part of the Mosaic Life family, you've had nothing but great experiences. Nothing but great experience. And I always look forward to the, I save the podcast if I can't listen to them right away because I love them. Oh, good. Good. We yeah. should do that. We, I, we should, you know, we should make this an annual thing every November, December. Let's, let's plan on talking. I think that'd be a, a great thing to do. That would yeah. be awesome. Good. I love well, it. If, you know, if, if anybody wants to reach out to you, get a hold of you, uh, if people feel like they're in a vulnerable state and they, they need to talk with you, what is the best way to reach out? Um, easiest is coachlisabond.com. And there is a place under, um, scheduling appointments where they can schedule a free 15 minute consultation. Um, and I'm happy to speak with anybody person to person about anything that's going on. My email is Lisa bond RN at gmail.com. That's also a good way. Leaving messages, um, is not a good way, although I will get to them eventually. Um, I, that is not something that um, tends to happen really quickly. So I just want to be real transparent about that, but I will get to them. Absolutely. And I will put uh, both those links as well as your social media links uh, in the show notes so people can find those uh, easily. Fabulous. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, And then, oh, okay. One last question. Um, We're obviously living in a virtual world. And now, I mean, can people all over the country get a hold of you? Are you looking to speak only with people specifically to central Ohio? Nope. People um, all over the country are welcome to connect. And in fact, I'm working with somebody um, from Honduras right now, um, which has been really fun as well. And previously have done a little bit of work with someone from Ireland. So, you know, these issues are worldwide. Absolutely. Absolutely. Lisa, again, thank you so incredibly much. And I'm sure you and I will speak many times before we record again. And I look forward to doing an in-person event with you. All righty. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. One more time, please help me in thanking my wonderful guest, Lisa Bond, for joining me back on the Mosaic Life podcast. If you would like to learn more about Lisa and her coaching and how she's helping others who are struggling through the holiday season, please don't hesitate to reach out to her. You can find her on Instagram and Facebook at Lisa Bond Coaching, and I will include her email address in the show notes as well. And her website is coachlisabond.com. If you would like the Mosaic Life podcast in your inbox every Sunday, join the Mosaic Life Circle by visiting themosaiclifepodcast.com. You have my word, you'll never receive spam, just extremely interesting conversations. And of course, if you want more 
Mosaic Life podcast in your life. You can follow me at Trey Kaufman on Instagram, or just search for The Mosaic Life podcast on Facebook. And as a reminder, the Mosaic Life podcast is on all podcasting platforms. So do yourself a favor and subscribe. Thank you all again so incredibly much. If this is your first time listening to the Mosaic Life podcast, welcome. If there's anything I can do better to provide more interesting content to you, do not hesitate to reach out. Until next time, take care, do better, and be well. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.